to down to down to yeah um, missed and peeved missed and peeved that's a way of saying like you're angry or you're mad don't be missed and peeved missed don't be miffed and peeved it's a real world it's a real it's a real it's a real one I don't use it not in your vocab down to down yes this is Stephen Adams. Don't be miffed and peeved. No, you can't be miffed and peeved. Sorry. This is Stephen Adams. You can't be miffed and peeved because you're listening to Down to Dunk. Welcome to Down to Dunk. This is your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of CLNS Media, DailyThunder.com, and featured on Dash Radio at 5 o'clock Central Time, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. With me today... We're back on the same show again. It's Michele Barra. Michele, what's up? Hey, I'm so glad you're back. I mean, I couldn't handle the pressure of being a host <laughs> for another week, so I, <laughs> I I was already out of guests. Like, so it's <laughs> that was a fun show. Your the show you did with Rick. If you guys haven't listened to it, you need to go back and listen to it. It really just kind of talks more like conceptual ideas with basketball and mm-hmm. how. NBA teams and players go about development and it's really interesting. It's definitely a perspective that I hadn't really thought about uh, on several of those topics. So if you haven't heard it, you need to go back and listen to last week's episode. It was really good. I appreciate you doing that uh, for us and for really my wife probably appreciates it a lot more (laughs) because I wasn't up doing a a podcast and I was able, able to help with our new son. But uh, it's it's much appreciated. And it was a great show. So, yeah, I had to cut out all the nasty stuff he said about the thunder. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but but he had like he, he has like very strong opinions on like, how basketball should be played, and uh-huh. I think it, it was interesting um, that he had like a lot of faith on what like Schroeder and Russ can do together. Yeah, he's not like he's not like a guy that says like just three and spacing. He's more on talent and what the talent can do on the court. And mm-hmm. so I think that is that is a very interesting perspective. Where the fact that like we put players in the box and players put themselves in boxes, that's to me is I think it's, it was the best part of the pod to me. Like the idea that we we as a media or sort of media and also players sometimes put themselves into boxes that are hard to break then mm-hmm. yeah and they kind of lose their identity some in that yeah which is yeah. which is interesting uh a little bit of thunder news Devin hall who was selected in the late second round i think with the 53rd pick by the thunder uh has signed with a team in australia that i'm about to butcher their name please australian listeners i know we have several uh, please correct me, but I think it's Cairns Typens, maybe. I There's just no way that's right. Uh, but he signed over there. He's going to play there next year. According to his agent, he's going to play over there next year, play in the G League the following season, and then be on the Thunder the season after that, which would make him roughly 37 years old, it feels like, <laughs> because he's, <laughs> he's already a four-year guy. Um, but I think that kind of is in line with what we thought, you know, of all these guys that were chosen, neither of us were super high on what Devin Hall could do, mostly because we didn't really believe in like his foot speed at the NBA level. Like on paper, he's a guy that, oh, he can really shoot the three ball. He's six foot mm-hmm. six. He can, you know, defend 
you know, at the college level. I, I don't know. I was always kind of skeptical of this guy, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on Hall being uh, or signing in Australia? Well, first of all, I'm reading right now uh, that the MBL season starts in October and ends in February. Um, so I think that what his agent his agent meant was he will play in NBL, then he will go to the G League to end the season. If this, I, I don't know when the G League season ends, but probably a couple oh. of months. Okay. Uh, because even if the team goes to the like to the end of it, it's still uh, the beginning of March. So he will likely have at least a month to, if he wants that, to play in the with the blue. Uh, and then next year, next so season. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Being like maybe on a two-way or even even make the roster. I think that for certain players, and Hall may be one of them, playing professional basketball in a league that is full of money because they have like the best uh, stuff in terms of analytics. They have a contract with uh, Synergy and Sports Code, which are basically one is the best data provider. The other one, the other one is one of the best software out there to do analytics. Uh, well, not as good as chart side, but like in a, of course, it's not. very, of course <laughs> of course, like they are uh, a very big company. And, um, and so it's, it's great that, uh, that, that he can get like real professional, uh, basketball with grownups, with, uh, players that probably have NBA experience. And so I, I, I think it's, it's a good way uh, to to prove yourself, and if you can sneak in for a month or so with uh, the G League, uh, the Thunder G League, um, that that's even better because he has time to to at least learn how um, conceptually OKC will want to play. And yeah, I think I think it's a good choice. I I sponsor like um, non USA basketball um, for development, especially if the league is like, especially in particular leagues. Mm-hmm. And go make some money, Devin Hall. Yeah, like yeah, go, sure. Go take a year, make some money playing pro ball, because I mean he was. I mean this just solidifies that he was told, yeah, we just don't have a spot for you, and yeah. your option is to play for the blue, which means that we're not offering him that two way spot. And so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know really how much he can get uh, there, because like in Europe, if you are a rookie. A good rookie in a good team, you may sneak into the um, like a hundred and twenty thousand. That's still like double, what, over double what he would make here, though. As a two-way, yes, yes, that's what. That's why I think, like, even if the two-way was the offer, mm-hmm. like, well, it's it's at least a decision like that money-wise still makes sense sure. uh, compared to the two-way roster spot. Of course not. It's it's another ballpark, mm-hmm. but uh, it could be convenient to 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 go abroad and and try to make money. And then when you're ready to make the league, not the uh, like a G League slash NBA spot, then then you can go for it. Yeah. Do you expect them to give Kevin Hervey that uh, second two way spot, or do you think they play around with it and find somebody random? Well, he can he can be a good 
two-way contract because he's massive. And Mm -hmm. I think that keeping him around and maybe give him some run, uh, especially during practices and and stuff like that with the team can be helpful for him. And I think that Hervey uh, injury situation is much, much riskier than the one that Heaven Hall has, which is basically a clean slate. Uh, And so if I don't remember, if I remember correctly, Instead, Herbie has like two knees procedure already. Mm-hmm. And so keeping him around like monitor during like the full G League season, uh, see how he responds to training and blah, blah, blah. I think it's smarter uh, from a medical point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I would kind of expect that to happen now because I, I thought that Hall would come in and try training camp with the Thunder because the Thunder, mm-hmm. you can bring up to 20 guys in yeah. for your training camp. And most of those guys don't make it. I expect that they'll they'll bring in probably Rashawn Thomas again. Um, who oh, played. Thomas signed in Europe. Oh, he did. I didn't know that. In Sardinia, uh, very very nice place to live. Uh, Good awesome for him. Food. Yeah, good basketball. I, I know personally the assistant coach, mm-hmm. which is a very very good friend of mine. We grew okay. up together, and he was in summer league. He told me, "I want this guy. I want this guy." I told him, "Well, you should better get him." Yeah. They will probably play him at the four, which is not ideal, but um, uh, he will play with the other summer league um, uh, MVP, Cooley. Uh, Cooley, I don't know the, the the big guy, white guy. Oh, Jack uh, Cooley. Jack Cooley, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so they will probably play some together, and he will play probably uh, the, the five spots during close close time. But yeah, he signed already in that's Europe. Good. So it's, that's good. I didn't see that. I don't even see it on uh, on Twitter. So we might be breaking news right here. No, it's it's quite old. Uh, I think like three weeks. Oh, I I hadn't heard a peep about it, but that's good. Good for him. I think I don't think he was ever going to make the Thunder, and so mm. I think that. He needs to go do that. I mean, you can. He would be really good in Europe. I mean, he can. He can make a lot of money so. over there, and he can play a ton of minutes and make an impact over there. I mean, that's. I think it's good for him. I think you know, as far as, I think the Thunder's rosters, as close to set as possible. I think that they're mm-hmm. probably going to keep that fifteenth spot open when Singler is gone, and. Um, probably head in with Herbie as their second two-way guy and you know I think the roster is pretty much set and they're going to basically try to figure out which of these guys at the end of the roster can play and go from there so yeah yeah, no, it, it makes total sense and again if you have like 14 or even if you uh, cut or stretch or whatever uh, cut singular you maybe have 13 or whatever spots you, you never know like mm-hmm. you can have like two you, you can confirm burden or like yeah like a ton of options which is again a good way to handle your roster we uh touch on that uh many times last season um like where spots in the roster were not used as in a in a proper way like too many dead spots uh and this season i think uh, okc is handling much much better well they, they had like the, their hand tied basically last season but now that they have like more flexibility today i think they are using it properly mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that i'd like to thank andy's frozen custard for sponsoring today's show go to andy's it's hot outside you can get fresh frozen custard made hour by hour you can watch it being made through the window and it's amazing Uh, i went and i just had straight up chocolate chip cookie dough concrete and it was so good 
It was unreal. Uh, my wife got a Heath bar concrete and it was very good. You can go right now and get their special, which is a key lime pie concrete. It's just like a real piece of pie put into a cup mixed with Andy's frozen custard, their vanilla frozen custard. And it's unbelievable. <laughs> You've got to go try it. Andy's locations are, there's a few in Oklahoma city, uh, Texas, Missouri, uh, Tennessee, Florida. I think there's one in Arizona. So I know we have people in all those States. Please support the people that support down to dunk and eat at Andy's frozen custard. So today they're doing pictures for the, the rookies and uh, Hamadou Diallo is getting his photo taken today. I thought that was kind of interesting because it's there's not a ton of second rounders there, but he's one of them. And I don't really know how they get chosen. I don't know if the team send them. I don't know if they send an invite to all the rookies and the guys that want to show up, show up. I think there's like 35 guys there today. Um, so you'll see pictures on Twitter of, uh, of Hamadou. Uh, probably jumping on trampolines and doing weird, <laughs> weird poses, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's kind of a, a cool note. Uh, the Thunder schedule came out on Friday afternoon uh, after the Friday pod was released. They talked a little bit about uh, some of those games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the full schedule was released. And I think, you know, overall, I think that schedule talk is super boring and just like something to get us <laughs> through August. But mm-hmm. I did think it was interesting that basically in 2018, the Thunder have 13 of their 36 games against playoff type opponents. And so that, mm-hmm. that leaves a ton of games that the Thunder should win. And then you have flashbacks to last season where they lost a ton of games to bad teams and didn't play well against bad teams. And you're kind of terrified now you're having (laughs) some strange flashbacks. Um, So I think that we'll find out early if the Thunder have figured out these basically problems of laziness, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, that's what it was. It was like cockiness layered with laziness against the Kings and Memphis Grizzlies that were really terrible last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Orlando magic, the Dallas Mavericks that they lost to. I mean, it's just, I I think it would be interesting because like they're playing like Sacramento, Phoenix, Charlotte, uh, Cleveland, Dallas, Phoenix, New York, Phoenix, Sacramento, Mm -hmm. Charlotte. This is all within the months of October and November. Like all those games are and like you're getting a ton of easy teams to start the season, which I think is good. It gives time for Andre Robertson to get back into game shape. It gives the thunder a chance to try out these different wings against lesser competition. And hopefully it gives the thunder a chance to correct those problems that we discussed just a second ago that Mm -hmm. can they figure this out? Yeah, I think that the first 21 games, which is basically October and November, if I count correctly, um, will be will be telling about the season that OKC will end up having mm-hmm. because they face Golden State on the road twice. Uh, they start with a like I would say a pretty tough schedule the first uh, seven games because yes you have Sacramento and Phoenix but then you have Golden State uh, Clippers twice and Boston and I'm not sold that the Clippers will be an easy uh, an easy game they are not maybe a playoff contender but like 
it's hard to win in LA. And then you go to Washington, you go to Cleveland, um, and then you have like a soft schedule for the basically the, the, all the other games. Mm-hmm. And so if you can close with a very good record, like say 15 and six or something like that, uh, I think that is the goal of, the, of OKC. Like start the first 20 game in a proper way. Um, win all the, the game you should win and probably sneak one or two, uh, like sneak a few of the hard ones. Uh, maybe Houston at home, maybe at Cleveland. And like, well, actually, it's not a tough game this year. No, but it's 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 not a terribly easy one. I, I again, they will be in the playoff run uh, for the seven, eight, six. I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, CD East, uh, and East, they still have um, an all star probably. So yeah. it's easy, but it's not like very easy. Um, I think again, you have a good balance. Probably it's kind of easy, and that's why I expect them to be like way above 500 and if they are then it's it's good because it's balanced you have some harder game and you have some winnable game and if you go like a lot uh, higher than 500 it means that you're doing uh things properly such as like beating bad teams and compete with uh, great ones and beat all the all the other ones yeah yeah they have a chance to kind of exercise their uh eight and 12 demons of last year yeah exactly you know it really changed the fortunes of how they handle everything because you know they they lost a lot of terrible games you know they got they got killed in utah they you know lost a close game to minnesota at home i think everybody probably remembers that one they lost another one at minnesota and then they lost four games in a row uh boston at home which really i don't i mean i'm sure everybody remembers that game too the thunder were rolling in the first half and really on their way to they had, they were four and three at that point and they were rolling in the first half looks like they were going to roll over boston and then they oh, yeah. gave it away then they lost yeah. to portland lost to sacramento and then lost to denver in a four game yeah. losing streak i mean it was just really bad and it was yeah. it was lazy basketball it was them thinking that they could just show up and just beat teams and yeah. You can't not wonder if Carmelo Anthony is a part of that mentality because he is, I mean, the stay mellow stuff, it's real. (laughs) It's real. I mean, I think that there's something, some things that were good about him being a calming presence in the locker room, but I think that he also like the pendulum swung too far at times. And especially in the first part of that season where they just could not, get it together and they were just yeah we'll figure it out we're not really worried about it you should probably be worried about it you just lost four games in a row and one of them was the sacramento you should probably be a little bit worried about that uh yeah and and it's and also yeah and also like russ had probably the worst start of his career Mm-hmm. like uh he was out for basically the majority of training camp and he had like a weird summer he had a baby uh yeah. i think the, another one is coming am i right this is correct yeah um but like this off season i saw like a lot more basketball from him like a lot more like being into the off season uh maybe it's just uh that i didn't follow as much last season but i think that having russ ready physically and mentally uh for the beginning of the season will be like of great help 
and and this is like a team that knows how to play together um basically the the closing lineup for last year is basically either the starting for this season or again the closing lineup for for the coming season and they have like a very good backup and so i'm really i really expect them to start in a different way mm-hmm. uh, if not like something is really like bad with this team and like if they start a 12 together i don't think Donovan will, will coach the team like after christmas yeah. like if they start again that way no that's that's no way is the coach after 20 games yeah i agree with that because then what else do you do i mean you've got this core yeah. locked up yeah it's clearly something the coaching staff is not doing right and i just i don't expect that to happen i expect no, them to i mean they have continuity going into next season i think jeremy grant is a better player uh mm-hmm. we don't really know what to expect from robertson there was that video of him running on a treadmill uh very fast very fast on that low (laughs) that low impact treadmill uh which is good it's good to see that it's good to see that he can do that and there's nothing i I keep saying this there's nothing about optimism from dre and from the thunder on what he will look like this season and probably like 15 percent of me that's skeptical of that and the rest of it i just tend to believe that he's going to be okay but uh, you know, it's not a given that he is going to be the same Dre of last season when the Thunder were at their peak. And so it's good that they have options now. Uh, it's good that they have TLC. It's good that they, uh, I think they're going to go into the season, you know, trusting Abrinas and Ferguson to play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope so. So I just remember, you know, like last season, how, how the season ended and how they went into the playoffs is, that Alex Sabrina's played a ton. Yeah. Against, uh, against like a, like a probing matchup. Yeah. Well, it, like, that Houston game to end the season that they really needed yeah. to win. I think they had like three games left and one of them was against Houston. And if they just won one of those, they get in. I'm sure you, yeah. I'm sure everybody remembers this and the Thunder go into Houston and the, I think they had lost maybe like one or two games all season uh, when they were healthy in in houston and the thunder yeah. went in and won and alex abrinas played like 25 minutes in that game and i think yeah. he went like oh of seven from three two <laughs> in that game but he like played good defense and he really started to get a flow of uh, and rhythm and so yeah just looking back at that it makes me wonder if if abrinas will be the guy that they hand minutes to just because he is he's a more experienced player and they really did lean on him last season uh, but I also do think Ferguson's going to get a real shot at it too. So I think yeah. they've got good options. I'd like to thank Early Upgrade for sponsoring today's show. If you are a business owner or a manager and you've got some old tablets and some old phones that your employees are complaining about all the time, you need to contact Early Upgrade. Go to earlyupgrade.com. They can hook you up with a great deal on some new phones or tablets. They will buy back your old ones, even if they're not functional, which is a really cool part of early upgrade. They've been around for nine years. They're nationwide. So if you're located anywhere in the U.S., they can help you guys out. They are fantastic to work with. Great people. So please 
support the people that support down to dunk and check out earlyupgrade.com. Like related topic, but not terribly related. I was uh, looking to clean the glass stats today and I found a very good article about um, OKC double threat, uh, meaning offensive rebound and transition defense. Yeah. And there is a sentence that I uh, want to read uh, about Robertson, which is uh, really, really um, telling of the impact that the Robertson can have. No one illustrates the point better than Robertson. He's both a great offensive rebounder and a great transition defender and understands the balance between two t- the two tasks. Both jobs start with the same trait, effort. In transition D, Robertson is often the player who picks up the ball early to take away the offense um, strike, uh, first strike. And then it continues to, uh, to, to illustrate how Robertson, uh, Robertson really helps uh, the balance between offensive rebounds and transition defense and how Adams is the other centerpiece of that. So having those two players healthy or reasonably healthy for next season will be incredibly helpful because after Dre went down, yes, the transition defense was still there, but not exactly in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, he is such a huge piece to their success this season. If they're going to mm-hmm. be an elite defense, like I think they have an opportunity to be a top three defense. If they're going to do that, they're going to have they have to have Andre, and he yeah. has to be able to play at a high level. And if yeah. they do, they're going to be they're they're not going to have that eight and twelve start. They're gonna they're gonna roll over teams because of their athleticism. Because they're going to have some cohesion and some, a more formed game plan going into the season. And they're going to have a point guard that can score and play in the same way that Russell does when Russ isn't on the court. Uh, I just have a hard time believing this team doesn't have a better record. And some people are like, yeah, I think they'll have around the same record, but the West is tough. And blah. Man, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I think that they can really roll over teams this year. And they should. This, is a, this team is better than what people think. And, mm-hmm. you know, last season definitely left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths and you know the the trade of mellow and paul george resigning is kind of given thunder fans some resurgence but i think that team is was better than the 48 games that they won last year i think that i mean you look at their margin of victory and i think that that, mm-hmm. that tells you that uh and so i think that we'll see we'll just see a better version of the thunder this year and i think that they'll win 50 plus games and uh, it'll be an exciting season. So um, I'm hopeful. Uh, McKellie, do you want to... Oh, let's let's do our topic from Thunderfan405. Is that his Twitter handle? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I can uh, get back to that. Let Just give me uh, one second. Uh, yeah, the, the, the topic was uh, having uh, an extremely um, good def- good offense without the three-point shooting. And his point uh, mainly um, was about uh, the fact that uh, on the top 10 um, all-time, or at least uh, from when Basketball Reference has data, um, top 10 offensive teams, uh, just three of those was uh, were in the last uh, decade. And even if I like uh, the general idea of having a very good offense without being a consistent three-point shooting uh, team, I think that that a point of view is not completely applicable. Like you cannot take into consideration, uh, or, uh, at least you cannot compare 
the offense uh, before 2000 and after 2000 because of the rule change. So the legal defense, from what I understand, because I, I, I were I was not into basketball that much back then, uh, and also I was uh, like a 13 years old who can not understand uh, anything. So. Um, the legal defense uh, didn't allow to float and to leave your man to, to do help defense or, or stuff like that consistently. And so imagine a, a guy as talented as KD going one-on-one with no double every time. And maybe you beat your man and you have just one man um, standing um, below the rim. So like KD will score every time. And yeah. imagine OKC with KD, Ross, and Harden uh, in 2012, where you can just guard him one-on-one. Yes, if you have one good defender, you may put him on KD. And then your second best on Russ, and the third like was James Harden. Like, that team would have been great with no illegal defense. But like, can you 12 ex- years... Can you explain the illegal defense rule? Yeah, basically, you, you could, uh, from what I understood, and again, I'm really shaky on that, and our fan can... Uh, um, improve my my take on that. Um, I think that the idea was you cannot leave your man, and you, you just basically have to play um, man defense in the in the sense that you cannot switch, you cannot float, you cannot like stand around and uh, like uh, sag away from your player. Like if Under Robertson is on the corner, you cannot stay very far from him mm-hmm. to improve your team defense and like sending help where it's needed. It, like those stuff uh, implies that you can have like one guy on your superstar and without much help that creates um, efficient basketball because like imagine having the opportunity to to play LeBron James just one-on-one he will beat you every time Mm. like if you're a great defender maybe he will beat you 50% of the time which is which is great anyway so it's it's completely different the way uh, they play basketball and like the the difference now is that they play more creative basketball they have to move the ball because defenses are so smart uh, they find counter for everything back then it it was iso heavy so you go to your superstar and he either creates for you or he scored the basket in isolation so it's it's really different and i i don't think that it's the good way to look into this so if you want to know if a, if you can build up a very efficient offense without having um without like a higher three-point rate i think that can be done um but not in the way they they did it back then because like the two you cannot play the way they were playing 20 years ago mm-hmm. and just defense in general i mean if you go watch just go youtube some old like early 90s late 80s games a lot standing around (laughs) on defense back in the day i mean the way that defense is played today how engaged the whole team is as a unit it's insanity Mm -hmm. i mean the the difference between the defenses of back in the day not only because of the rules but just because of the emphasis that's being placed on it is it's staggering and so Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot more difficult to have an elite, elite offense in the context of the history of the NBA. And if you do, uh, I mean, that means that you 
it's it's crazy basically like it's just a, a crazy efficient offense if you're able to crack that top 10 and we've had a few that have done that recently and we we will likely have more i mean this houston team if Melo can make shots i mean they could they could crack they could crack that list because they're going to be pretty much unstoppable as an offensive team defensively they're going to take a massive step back everybody knows that but if Melo's willing to to park himself and have that gravity that he has or you know not that he really deserves it anymore but he still has it i think that uh you know that team could could be ridiculous and obviously if golden state's motivated enough they they're there too so um it'll be yeah and also and also yeah, and also to be completely fair mathematically, uh, like having three teams uh, in the last, like basically uh, in the last four years, because it was it was like 2014, 2016, and 2018, it's still pretty telling. Like sure. those are from like from 1981, basically. So it's it's still a good having like three teams in the top ten that played the last four years mm-hmm. is telling you that the the, the deficiency of the uh, post Warriors basketball, or at least moribund basketball, um, is giving uh, their their results. Yes, like not every team cracks that because it's extremely hard, as you said, to to play great defense and to against those kind of offenses. But if you uh, if you probably take the average of the efficiency, you could get like a more telling results or, or of where the league is going. Uh, like, for example, uh, we have five teams that are uh, 113 or higher in the last season, which is something like extremely interesting. Yeah. Whereas the other years you had like maybe um, a different average. Yeah, I think it definitely is. The, the way that they're playing makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it's the players that they have. I mean, you can't ask like the the Charlotte Hornets to play the same way and they're not going to get a historic offense out of it. It's about, it's about the players that you have and the shot makers that you have. And so, uh, that's, I mean, that's basically, you're not going to crack that top 10 unless you have elite, elite talent and then have an elite game plan as well. And then you find yourself there. But I think part of his point is that he thinks the thunder could have a good offense and yeah. I don't think that that's incorrect. I think that they could end up with a top 10 offense and they probably, honestly, mm-hmm. they probably should when you have guys as talented as Russell, Paul George, Stephen Adams, Dennis Schroeder, like you should have a top 10 offense. Is it going to be pretty? Is it going to look like uh, the modern basketball that everyone basically says is the only way to play? It, it's not, it really isn't. It's going to be fast paced. It's going to be drive and kick and, you know, shoot and it's going to be get to the rim. It's going to be get to the free throw line. And hopefully the Thunder have also figured out a way to make their free throws this year because last season that was such a weak disaster for them. I yeah. mean, they finished yeah. like 29th in free throw percentage and they lost. I, I remember toward the end of the season, I totaled it up and there were 15 games that they lost based on the number of free throws they missed. And yeah. the, that can't happen. And, you know, Schroeder's going to come in. He's going to get to the line. He made, uh, I think, 80-something percent of his free throws. Uh, Jeremy Grant was really good at getting to the free throw line last year as well. He had a pretty mm-hmm. high free throw percentage, and he uh, he's a guy that should help. Russell needs to be better. Paul, hopefully getting 
that uh, that twenty ounce bottle of soda off of his elbow will help him shoot free throws better and hopefully help him shoot better in the mid range as well because he was atrocious from the mid range last year. Yeah, and so the Thunder should be better based on that too. I think their roster's better, but I think that they should be better based on the fact that they it should average back out because last year was a strangely terrible year for free throws and it wasn't just Dre and Adam shooting a ton of free throws and pulling the average down. It was Russell, Paul and Mello missing free throws that they normally make. Uh, and hopefully this season with the trio of Russell, Paul and Schroeder, and then also Jeremy Grant, who will probably those four will probably spend the most time at the line for the thunder that they will make their free throws and that makes such a huge difference to uh, everything for the for this team because they don't they won't be able to make a ton of threes. They don't have a lot of great three point shooters, and so to counterbalance that, they need to get to the free throw line and make their free throws. Yeah, no, I think it it makes uh, total sense. But we, what do you expect uh, expect um, the first uh, regular season game in terms of starters? Because that I think it's a it's like one point that it's not settled, and I think it, it will not be settled until the end of training camp. Yeah, so basically, you're just talking about Grant versus Patterson. Yeah, kind of. I think Patterson's going to start. Is what is what I I think will happen. Tell me why. I think it's I think it's the he has such a smaller role than Grant does. And he's a guy that doesn't need the ball to create. He's a good ball mover. He's a good defender. Uh, He takes a lot of threes. And Mm -hmm. the Thunder need guys that take a lot of threes. And that's just period. I mean, last season, um, he took a total of 171 threes last season to Jeremy Grant's uh, 110 and in a lot less minutes and like 400 less minutes. And so mm-hmm. I think that Patterson plays more. I think he obviously takes a lot more threes. I think he probably takes 300 or more three pointers this year. And I think that that's good for the Thunder offense. They need play finishers out there with Russell and Paul. When you're playing fast and you want to get in the paint and kick it out, you need to have guys that can finish those plays. And when you're starting Robertson and Adams, you're already limiting yourself as far as spacing and outside shooting. Cause then you're basically just left with Paul George and then whoever starts at the four. And if you're starting Jeremy Grant, you know, Jeremy Grant, maybe he deserves the benefit of the doubt from outside because he shot the ball well from three to finish the season. And 37.5 after all sub break. Right. And so maybe that's, there's a point where you're like, you know what? He should probably get a chance to to shoot more threes and to see if it's real. Uh, he's more athletic and he's going to be able to make, you know, more defensive plays. He's a guy that can play faster than, than uh, Patterson can. Like I get the arguments, but I just still think that shooting threes and taking them at a large volume and being a, the ball mover that he is, and he's a good defender too. Uh, he he played really well, and he played well against Golden State when he got a chance to play a lot of minutes. So uh, I just like Patterson. We talked about Jeremy Grant's thirty-seven percent to finish the season. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but in March, uh, Patterson shot 47% from three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, after also break, he is, he, I did the math like a few days ago, it was 43.2. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a different ballpark. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's a good three point shooter and he was 36% pre all-star break, which is good. Um, that's like still acceptable. Uh, mm-hmm. and then you look at grant pre all-star break, he was 25%. Yeah. So, so the yeah. variance with grant is, is high and I still have no clue what to think of him as a shooter. I thought that at, at season's end, he, his shot was more compact. His body control was so much better, not only yeah. getting in the paint and getting to the rim, but as a shooter, like his he just had way more control over what he was doing. And I just think that as he strengthens his core and as he works on that, I think he's going to be better. Uh, will he be a 37% three-point shooter? I just don't think so. Uh, mm-hmm. It's possible, but I think that if he even just lands at 35%, then you're talking about a real weapon. I think when you hit that league average, then you become that, I mean, he is incredibly versatile and he can create his own shot. He can get to the rim uh, if he can hit that corner three and make a short roll pass, uh, you're talking about a guy that maybe should start at that point because, you know, if, here's what it comes down to. Is the defense going to pay attention to Jeremy Grant in the corner? Yeah. Because even if he makes 35% and the, the other teams aren't paying attention to him, then it's not worth it. I think mm-hmm. that Patterson there shooting 40% from three, you have to pay attention to that. And he has yeah. he has the the past history of making corner threes and being a guy that basically only takes corner threes, and you have to guard that. And what that that's what's most important to me is what is the defense going to pay attention to, and yeah, and that's certainly something they will. And that's why I think that he should be the starter is because I I don't think he takes a ton off the table defensively, and he adds just that massive element that the Thunder need desperately with their starters. Yeah, uh, I mean, you basically cover everything. I will just uh, give a few stats that I think are relevant. Um, with Patterson on, the trio Adams, Westbrook, and George basically played nothing last season. Mm-hmm. They played 71 minutes together, that's which so is... Crazy. I mean, that's just, no, it's, that's it, the mellow effect, but it's still it's, crazy. I think it's mellow and ability, uh, to be honest, because yeah. if you if you put... Uh, Melo with the second unit and we discussed it ad nausea so I will not do that again um, <laughs> you could you could have like way more minutes with this unit yeah. and in 71 minutes which is again not tr- not mm, like not relevant but I'll, I'll read the number uh, the OKC had 111 offensive rating 91.6 defensive rating yeah. uh, uh, for like 20 net rating which is clearly unsustainable I know that yeah. uh, but I think that the, the 56% effective field goal and the 70% true shooting are actually uh, achievable maybe not quite 60 uh, but getting up to like 58 uh, in true shooting and maybe 55 like league average uh, slightly above league average in effective field goal mm-hmm. um, it's actually achievable for that unit and on the other end with grant on the court uh you can unleash um crazy offensive rebounding and to be honest like okay so he had a crazy offensive rebounding no matter what but uh with grant on the court uh, after all-star game uh where he was like good uh the net rating with him on the court was still plus 10.5 which mm-hmm. is like 
uh, 115.5 offensive rating and 105 defensive rating. You have to count, you have to uh, balance that with the fact that Robertson was not part of the equation. So he had like slightly better offense and slightly better, uh, worse defense. Uh, but still, I think that both units will work incredibly well. And I think that they will play uh, a ton of minutes, like both of, the, of those players. You can have Patterson at 20 and Grant between 25 and 28. Mm-hmm. And and then maybe play some, maybe Grant plays more because he can play like around 30 as a small ball five if somehow um, uh, Noel doesn't pan out as a, as a five. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, I think like still with, with Grant on the court, the, the effective field goal was uh, 54.4 and a true shooting 59. So um, it's like you, you can build up very good units with a, versatile and not completely uh, uh, useless on defense guy uh, at the four spot. Uh, and that will change quite a lot because when you said like OKC has a chance to be a top three defense, I think OKC has a real shot of being the best defense. Uh, maybe Utah will be great again. Uh, and so they will be probably be not quite as good as them. But they like to take away a guy that can that needs to guard pick and roll and was not able to in Carmelo Anthony and have a guy like Grant or Patterson that they can effectively guard a pick and roll that change a lot because Steven Adams doesn't have to worry about Melo not covering his men uh, Robertson does not have to overhelp they can play their men and so you have three incredibly good defender uh, at the um, uh, five four and two position and then you add Paul George. Mm-hmm. And basically, your semi weak link is Russ. Like that's that's a crazy good defense. That unit is, and even with Patterson, like it's like you can have a special special unit there. And uh, maybe the second unit will not play um, as good as good defense as the first one. I get it, but it's not really up to the second unit when you have a, a first unit like that. Yeah, I mean that's that's totally true, and it's uh, there's just not a ton of weaknesses on this roster anymore, up and down, no. and maybe their biggest weakness is inexperience at the end of the roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in which case that's not always bad. I mean, it can be bad. Like some of those guys may not be NBA players, which is certainly possible, uh, but it can also be you can also maybe unlock something that no one really even knew existed. And so I, I don't expect those guys to play a ton, but I do think that the Thunder have a nice forward rotation. I think that Paul George can steal minutes at the four as well if they need to. Uh, and they just have an they just have a, a true identity. And this is something we've talked about since the Schroeder trade is that they have a true identity moving into next season. Is that they're going to be crazy athletic, they're going to run, and they're going to be a competitive, defensive-minded group. And I think that mm-hmm. you, you look at Russell... And you look at Schroeder and you think, yeah, you know, like those guys really are not good defenders. And they probably won't be in the regular season. But I think what gives me hope come playoff time and even in, you know, big time regular season matchups is both those guys are crazy competitors. And yeah. they both have the the measurables and the ability to be def- good defenders. And so are you going to see it night in, night out? I mean, I don't think so. I think that people maybe overestimate the impact that it will have on Schroeder playing less minutes and Russell playing less minutes just because they're both 
I mean, obviously Schroeder's not going to play as much as he did at Atlanta. Uh, and hopefully Russell doesn't have to play as much as he did last season. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that means you give more effort to the defensive end. I just don't think that's necessarily how it works. But they yeah. both have the ability, which I think is really important. And, you know, whether who starts the four, I don't know that it matters so much. Mm-hmm. Because because I think that at the end of the day, it, it matters more who plays more minutes. And I think it's Jeremy Grant. I think Jeremy yeah. Grant is the better player. And he improved tremendously during last season. Uh, yes. And we've talked a lot about this, that he just wasn't very good the season before or even to start the season. Uh, yeah. It just didn't, he didn't make a ton of sense playing 30 minutes a night. Uh, by season's end, he was clearly better than Carmelo Anthony. Uh, he fit the team better. He was a better defender. He was even a better offensive player come, uh, the, you know, the playoffs. And it's not that he has more moves or is a better shooter. He was just a more fi- efficient offensive player. He took shots at the rim. He got to the free throw line. And he took wide open corner threes. And that's yeah. why he was a better offensive player. Carmelo Anthony, if he tried to do those things, he would have been a more efficient player. If he just tried to stick to some simple things, but Melo, that's not his game. That's never been his game. He likes to go one-on-one. He likes to be in the mid post. And those are, those were extremely inefficient shots for him last season. And so, yeah. um, it's the debate between Grant and Patterson is a fun one, but at the end of the day, the nod goes to Jeremy Grant, whether he starts or not. It's just because yeah. he's more versatile. And like we talked about, if that three-point shot can come around and be a real weapon for him, then you're you're talking about, uh, with a healthy Robertson, you're talking about a team that can compete with anyone. And I don't know that they could beat the Warriors in a seven-game series, but you're talking not get swept by the Warriors kind of team. So it's, yeah. it'll be, it's going to be really fun to see how it unfolds. Yeah, there is, uh, I want to make two comments on uh, the thing that you, um, that you said. The first one is not having a very experienced bench. Well, there is a trade-off. Like, do you want to be able to recover uh, fast from things that go not your way? Like not having KD anymore. Uh, if you had, if you kept Serge Ibaka, like an experienced player, a guy that was very good in the 2016 run, and KD leaves, now you are you have nothing to to deal with. Like you have nothing to move. You have nothing to play around with. Yes, you get uh, Oladipo and Sabonis, which are different player, not as experienced, but you have a pipeline of talent. And so, like, think of Cleveland. Cleveland doesn't have a very a uh, wide pipeline of young players. Mm. The rebuild time for them will be much, much longer. And so, yeah, uh, it, it is nice to have very experienced player. And I think that uh, with Felton, with even Schroeder, uh, you have experienced player. You have player that uh, played playoffs um, at a high level. But you, you, you don't want to compromise too much. Veterans are extremely helpful. But now your stars our veterans. And so those are the guys um, that helps you stabilize the team. The other guys, you have to to have some uh, young guys in the pipeline. The second one that I want to, uh, the second point uh, is I don't understand uh, how the fit between Robertson 
and Grant will be. Um, because like in the first part of the season when Grant was bad was because many of the minutes played um, um, in that weird unit where Melo goes to the bench and Grant comes in mm-hmm. uh, or and you have uh, Robertson and Grant together on the court and that never really worked yeah. uh, so I'm interested to see because if that pairing works like this would be like even starting Grant is amazing because then you have probably the most athletic defense that you can put on the court. If that pairing doesn't work, then you have an extra motivation to start uh, Patrick Patterson, play the most minute uh, when Robertson is on the court with the starter with Patterson. And then um, you may put, put in like a, a shooter, uh, like an Abrinas and Grant um, as your uh, suburbs uh, and put uh, Robertson on the, on the bench. But that is not, I don't know. Uh, it's a thing that I'm interested in, uh, but I don't really uh, know how to, how to judge it, uh, to judge it yet. Yeah. And, you know, we, we mostly talk positively about Robertson coming back. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I think that it does maybe undershoot some of the limitations that he has on the court, which is, which is where the conversation was almost primarily before he mm-hmm. we went down until like we knew that what we were missing is that mm-hmm. the conversation was, can the thunder even play start under Robertson anymore? Should they look to start somebody else because the dude can't shoot it. And then when he goes down and you bring in guys that can shoot it and they're just not even close to being as good. You're like, Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. Like really miss this guy. Uh, but he does have some serious deficiencies and he's not going to come back and be a better shooter. He's not going to come back and be a better free throw shooter, but if he can come back and be the ball mover, because this also didn't happen a ton when Grant was coming in is that they, when they hit their stride, some of it was because Robertson felt completely comfortable in the offense Mm -hmm. And he is cutting at the right time. He is getting the ball and moving it quickly. He is rolling to the rim. He's playing as their rim runner dunker guy in a lot of situations. And maybe that just clogs up the situation for he and Adams and Grant too much. And maybe that's why there's, you, you can't do that. But I just think that Robertson was in a better frame of mind at that point. And yep. Robertson is such a mental player. Like so much of the game for him is if he is good to go mentally as an offensive player, then the, the team is unstoppable. Yeah. But when he stops to think the game because he's hesitant, then it kills things. It absolutely does. And I just have to wonder with all the positive press that he has gotten basically since he went down, I mean, it's basically only been, man, look at the Thunder without Robertson. They just can't do it. And, oh, man, if the Thunder had Robertson, they would have made it the second round. Oh, if the Thunder had Robertson this, this, that. You know, he sees that. He's on Twitter. Yeah. He reads stuff. He, it, It's really interesting, but it, this may be the most positive press that he's had in his entire career has been yeah. when he hasn't played. And so I wonder if he comes back more confident because of that and maybe we don't see him wax and wane so much with his confidence because people now understand how important he is and people are saying he's the best defender in the nba and the thunder are really getting something back huge and so i just i wonder 
the impact that that has on him? Well, if if we assume, and it's a wrong assumption to make, that Robertson will have the same impact on the defensive side, I'll I'll, I'll read you the defensive rating of the team while Robertson and George and Grant are on the court together. So the average is 88.9 on 121 minutes, which is like, um, like not big. Let's take out Grant. Uh, it's uh, 641 minutes okay. and the defensive rating is still 95.3. Okay. So basically the only player, uh, the only two players above 100 when those two guys or three guys are on the court are Nick Collison that play basically nothing. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, Josh Eustis at a hundred because mm-hmm. probably those units were like very seldom used. And so there's a, um, a tiny sample size. So all the other units, uh, no matter how the combination of putting Carmelo Anthony, it doesn't really matter. were like a hundred or less, which is incredible. Like no unit with a plus a hundred um, defensive rating. That's how good Robertson and George and even Grant are together. And if you put Steven Adams in, then goes like below 90. Yeah. Uh, with like Robertson, George, Grant and Adams have 78.6, which is basically uh, a few minutes probably. Uh, and if you um, just uh, Robertson, George and Adams and Grant off 95.1, which is still crazy elite. So um, if OKC can have Robertson healthy, I'm really betting on them being top three defense. Yeah, I think it's almost guaranteed, right? Yeah, they they had like a 95.9 with Carmelo Anthony on the court. Which just makes no sense. No, no sense. Like Robertson, George, um, and Carmelo Anthony as a trio, 108.9 offensively, 95.9 defensively which is nonsensical, like put a guy that can defend and shoot. And that, that is a great unit. I mean, I'm excited. I, I really hope they pick up where they left uh, on that night in Detroit, because that was a special team. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I get part of the press that says with Robertson, the season would have been completely different because that team right there was extremely special and different from the version that we had for the remaining 30 games or, or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just to put all those numbers into context, we're talking about these numbers below 100. The best defensive team in the NBA last year, the Boston Celtics, had a defensive rating of 101.5. Yeah. And the Utah Jazz, 101.6 on the season. I mean, if they were able to hold, if you hold anything under 100, it's elite. I mean, it's yeah. like historically elite. And so with the Thunder adding Noel, and the Thunder not having a ton of weaknesses on the defensive end, it's possible that you have a historic defense on your hands. I mean, it's absolutely possible. And so, like, in the Jazz and the Celtics, they both have a ton of injuries to put into context for those, and it's still kind of crazy that they both ended up being uh, the the top two defensive teams in the NBA just because they did deal with so many injuries, but I think that's a credit to both of their head coaches. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But still, the Thunder have an opportunity to be an elite defense. And the Thunder were still the 10th best defense last year. They finished 10th best. But um, obviously, with Robertson gone, everything kind of dropped off 
a cliff because post, let me look at post all-star break, what they were. They certainly weren't top 10. They're 15 well, in the league well, post all-star break. Yeah, I can tell you that with Robertson off, the George Adams Westbrook lineups were uh, 111.4 offensively, 108, 108.7 defensively. So, and with Robertson in 94.9 defensively. So it's, it's like day, day and night. Uh, and wow. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Like, yeah. it's just, again, as Fred Katz said, uh, Katz said many times, uh, many times, Robertson would have been in the conversation for defensive player of the year mm-hmm. because those metrics are unreal. Like, maybe Gobert has that, that impact. No one else. And Gobert won. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And if he can if he can come back healthy, then you're talking about a, a guy that can compete for it again this next year. And yeah. the honestly, if he's the same guy he was last year, he will win it just because I think that you will see a stark impact or a stark contrast between last year's Thunder defense at the end of the year and this year's defense. And I think a ton of credit will go to him, which it should. Um, and the spotlight will be on this team, no doubt. And so I think he has a real opportunity as a wing to go win the defensive player of the year. And uh, that'll be big time for him and a big time confidence booster for him as well. So, uh, McKelly, thanks for coming on the show today. We can follow you on Twitter at Mikey Barra. Follow your project at chart underscore side. Please follow me on Twitter at Andrew K. Schlecht. You can follow our podcast at Down to Dunk. Please take some time to leave us a five star iTunes review. We're getting close to 600 iTunes, uh, five star iTunes reviews, which is really cool number because we love big round numbers here at oklahoma city because we we're just simple thinkers like that we like to see round numbers so if you could help us simple thinkers here to uh get to that number that'd be great i know there's still a ton of you guys that haven't had the chance to do that or it's maybe you don't have an iphone or you don't have itunes but if you could find a way to get to a computer to do that uh, that would be amazing. And if you do have an iPhone, uh, please take the time to do that today. It's super easy. You just click that purple podcast app, search down to dunk, hit five stars, boom, that's it. Uh, and if you do leave a message there, I read all of them. I have seen all of them. I appreciate them. And uh, you guys are just the best. We have the best listeners uh, in in the world. So we appreciate you guys. Hope you guys have a great Monday and we'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday.